Welcome back to Mental Health Bar. I'm Chris PG, as always. Uh, and this week I am joined by Jez Rose, broadcaster, author, and human. Uh, I know that we're going to talk about that in a minute, Jez. I don't think you find that funny. Um, I've known Jez for a long time. Jez is incredibly talented. Uh, he has been successful in many different fields. From when I first met Jez, he was the youngest member of the Magic Circle. And now, oh, who knows what you're doing? You're a, a multi award winning author. You're doing a lot of vlogs and podcasts and motivational speaking and being very proactive. What would you describe yourself as, Jess? <laughs> I'm not comfortable answering that. Um, <laughs> uh, I, uh, well, a human is all that matters, isn't it? Um, uh, I don't know. I get called a motivational speaker a lot, but I don't really agree that motivational speaker as a concept exists because what, motivates one person is intrinsically and entirely very different to what motivates another person so the idea that you bring somebody in to talk to 150 people to quote unquote motivate them sort of for me doesn't really make any sense uh and also it does make you sound like a little bit of a tosser um oh is there swearing in this or are we not yeah, like is this swear. family friend? Swear. <laughs> okay <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> well it's fine it's, it's a the line. thing is the whole point is that there's no lines here. We can talk about any topic, and in order to talk about any topic, you have to be able to swear sometimes. And also, a lot of the times, the topics that we discuss are a lot worse than in terms of where the boundaries <laughs> are the swear than the words we use to describe them. Um, as we've said, we've had a dominatrix in, on here before. It would have been very hard to have a conversation with a dominatrix trying yes. to keep it safe for kids. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, um uh, what, what was the, why is that lady talking about donkey tricks um That's yeah, not, so, i think you've been going to the wrong shows <laughs> the, you've only gone to the mexican ones those are the ones that the yes yeah, yeah. uh so so yeah I, I identified as um a i mean i'm a keynote speaker is what i do because i deliver keynote presentations at conferences and i host conferences um but the hosting is really just sort of an extension of the experience i had in telly um uh, broadcaster I get referred to a lot which is accurate I work on both telly and radio um, and the writer bit is because I've written several books um, hmm? yes one of them did win an award um, and uh, <laughs> yeah I mean look, yeah, we're, 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 don't, it doesn't matter it's only a, the Beverly Hills <laughs> book award um, uh, but uh, it's, it's going on about it um, but look, we're creative people, so that it's about output, isn't it? You know, and it's never just, I don't know anybody that only does one thing, which is the beauty about being human. You know, you see a lot of actors that are, and they'll be, they're known as an actor. That's how they became well-known. So people recognize their face, their voice, their name, because of something that was very successful and got shared a lot. Mm. But they're also, you know, if they look at their Wikipedia page, a painter, dancer, you know, writer, whatever, yada, yada, yada. And that's all good too. It doesn't, the idea of this linear, you must be one thing, I think is incredibly dangerous creatively and intrinsically as a human being, um, not for me, for all of our species, the idea that you should try to restrict your passions and focus on one thing is crazy. I think we should be known for all of the things we do. You know, it should be, this is Sue, not she's an accountant this is sue she's an accountant an amazing mum she does cross stitch uh she you know is, is a rock climber yada 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 um just seems i was talking to carlos my pastry chef just the other day before um uh, i decided to let him go um i mean viennese wells are fundamentally the simplest of things to make right and if you can't do that as a anywhere that's not for now um, uh, you know, I was I was talking to some of my team the other day about just this idea that you know who, what what would you describe yourself as? And they all gave me their you know roles, their job titles, what they do for me. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to prompt them and remind them that they also you know one of them does macrame and the other one's a yoga teacher and you know all those things are important. They form a part of us, right? Yeah. Well, that's it. And especially during this last year and a half, people are having to redefine 
who they are based on their interests rather than yeah. on their job roles because their job roles became stay at home that's what their job has become yeah. the last year and a lot of people are discovering that actually they're fantastic painters they're fantastic writers they're fantastic musicians and we're seeing a lot more independent businesses opening in, in, in a crazy um uh, paradox to what's going on we're seeing all these little businesses and entertainers are going into different areas and things like that and it's sure. it's great to see this definite definition and i mean like you have redefined yourself what 100 times i can't remember because i remember you starting out and i remember you showing me a coin trick that was like one of the first things Amazing. i remember about you. I we, were in, remember um, that. we were in the limelight theater in aylesbury in when i was 16 so you would have been what like nine uh and yeah. i don't know what <laughs> i don't, I don't know. uh that you know, i think there's two years right so I, I think you were like you were a teenager i was a teenager and we were having sweet break because we would it was we were in a play together was the play more by terry pratchett or something like that wow i don't know um and you showed me a coin trick in the uh bar from the break and told me that you were the youngest member of the magic circle <laughs> And so that is no. I would have been the youngest. I think I was the youngest uh, person in the uh, uh, in the at the time at the Young Magicians Club. I think that's what it was. So the Magic Circle had a youth initiative. You have to be eighteen to join the Magic Circle. Right. Okay. So I think so that's that, probably that's entirely possible as well. There would have been a point at which you were the youngest member of the Magic yeah. Circle, just by maths. Yeah. But yeah, so that that's that's why uh, that's 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 why that's my that's like my first memory. But so you were already very successful then, and and then the next time, uh, other than when we went to school together, but you were doing magic tricks, and still like not even sixteen in uh, a store. To, oh yes, as like a job, uh, you were showing people Svengali decks in um, oh, meetings. Marvin's magic. Yeah, uh, Marvin's magic. That's it. And so that is, the, and so that was the very start of my knowing you. And then since then, we've known, known each other in various different guises over the years. I mean, I remember us going for coffee and me being a credit card salesman and you working with Epcot on their oh, illusions. Yes. So yeah, yeah. This is like different parts of uh, every time I've met you, you've been a different thing. And now, because you, you obviously the beekeeping, you were doing beekeeping and selling honey two years ago sure. and now you're a human finally um well, <laughs> well the, the thing is that i mean some of those things are um uh, will sound out of context to people listening or watching because i mean magic has been consistent in my life since i was like i don't know 10 or something probably before that i think i was five when my grandfather showed me a um a magic trick um and that's been consistent. I mean, I abandoned magic for maybe, I don't know, a few years. I got really annoyed with it and, and I didn't like the industry and, and magicians and stuff and the concept yeah. of magicians. So I kind of turned my back on it for a while, but, but it is such a part of me. And I still perform now. I just don't perform under my name. I have a, a kind of pseudonym that I perform under so it keeps the brands kind of separate and different. Um, so, so that's always been a, con a constant. And actually, the a lot of things I've done have been constant. Um, like I've been speaking since I was 20, 20, maybe, I don't know, 21. When I came back from Disney, I um, first sort of fell into corporate keynote speaking, I suppose, in, in a way. I mean, what I do now is like wildly different to what I did then, but that's, you know, paid my bills all of my life. Um, and the other things that I picked up on or done, like when I was studying uh, human behavior and then sort of fell into animal behavior, when you're self-employed, you have to create something in order for you to earn money, right? And one of my strengths is, is definitely taking a concept or an idea and monetizing it. Um, not in a crass or crude way, but just in a, okay, I'm doing this thing and I'm enjoying it. There is the potential for me to earn money from it and therefore pay my mortgage. And that's quite important. <laughs> so yeah. why don't I do the thing that I'm enjoying rather than it being, I've got to go and get a job. Hello, Mr. Tesco's or hello, you know, Mr. Department Store. Have you got a job that I can kind of struggle through while I'm trying to enjoy doing this other thing in my life? My role has always been, my sort of approach, sorry, has always been, can I make money out of the thing that I'm really enjoying? So can I just do that? Yeah. um and sometimes that comes to a natural end for whatever reason um which is why 
like you say, you become known for doing that. And then the next time you meet me a couple of years later, I'm doing something else. And mm. uh, the two constants have been magic and speaking and sort of corporate training, but there's always been something else that I've been yeah. doing or interested in. It was animal yeah. behavior was the other one that I remember you being very def yeah. defining yourself as very strongly for about 10 years. I think it was six years. It was a long time. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, probably. The, the, the other thing that I don't know if you even know this, but you were the re, you were the person that performed the first live stand-up show, which was actually a magic show in the end. It was you? Oh, who's he's now a priest? That guy and John Vanderpump. Sam, Sam X. Sam. Yes, that's it. Oh, Sam. Sam X. Yeah, and it was that in the. Who is now a Catholic priest? Gosh, Catholic yes. Priest. Yeah. yeah, he contacted me on Twitter. Had more followers than me. It was very depressing. What, what, um, what a lovely, lovely guy. He's such a nice guy. He's such a nice guy. But he, it was this is the thing, Chris. If you're nicer to people, you will get more followers on Twitter. I've said this to you for years. I just can't <laughs> help being abusive. It's where I go. It, you? To, I can't. <laughs> I just love attacking, especially if they're younger. If they're under twelve, I love <laughs> slamming them. I like just there's something satisfying. No, but that was my first ever stand-up live comedy show that I've ever been to, and I'd literally just got. I'd never been to live stand-up before or live anything before, uh, and I'd just <laughs> got the tattoo that's on my arm to say that I was always going to be into entertainment. So that is there was a big defining moment, and also it was another one of those things where I was like. I that where you've been at a point in my life where there's been a big change but that's not what that so that was a that was something I didn't think you knew but what I wanted to say was you have recently gone through a huge change in your life within the last two years you came out which to our listeners some people listening is something they might not be able to do it themselves and how was that for you what, what happened you tell you tell the story rather than me tell the story uh coming out as gay yeah coming out as gay Right. Not Just as to make a sure. I haven't come out. Yeah, I know. Right? I was like, well, that's a bit of a dramatic way to say. I mean, you you came out to tell us all that you are a keynote speaker now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I finally come out as a human. Uh, as a human, yeah. Well, look, I came out when I was about, I, I don't know, 19 or 18 or something. I'm, I'm one of the only people I know. I mean, there have been many more, but I'm one of the only people that came out of the closet, went back in it, and then came out again. Um, so... Uh, I came out when I was quite young um, and then I was in uh, a relationship that wasn't, I was engaged to a guy that was kind of breaking up and, and wasn't going anywhere. At the same time, um, I became really, really good friends with uh, a girl that was also kind of in a relationship that wasn't really going anywhere and we became really, really good friends. And um, one thing just kind of led to another and then uh without all of the complexities because it's not really relevant yeah. for here um although i do understand that it is some people find it very difficult to understand they say okay so you were gay you identified as gay she knew you were gay then you ended up marrying her how the hell does that happen and that that's a, a much more in-depth conversation which probably isn't for here because it's it's irrelevant um and it's you know and kind of guarded about what I say without really speaking to, to her. Yeah. Um, and, and when we went through the process of, of breaking up, my ex-wife and I chose kindness as our um, modus operandi. Um, we wanted to maintain that, you know, it was because I couldn't live this kind of existential crisis anymore, um, mm -hmm. which is interesting in itself, you know, that, that I've lived through a period of trying to sort of not forcibly be somebody that I wasn't, but to attempt to be somebody that I wasn't. I just kind of got carried away with this relationship and friendship that we that we created, yeah. And making that work because it was convenient and comfortable and lovely, and you know oh, there yeah. were so many wonderful things about it. Because uh, she's an incredibly human being, but ultimately wasn't what I truly needed, which was you know to be with a guy. You know that's that's you know when you're gay it isn't it's kind of a little difficult to, to not do that um so um <clears throat> so i came out so i'd already been out but i've always been very very private about my life always yeah. and i think it's because i've had a very public life you know i spent uh i started presenting kids tv in 2003 i think and so did kids tv from 2003 to 2008 about um came out of tv went back into it sort of a few years back, sort of more mainstream. Um, so, you know, people have known my name and when you're a performer, they're interested in you, they're asking you questions about you. And, and so my personal life has always been very private. 
And I don't know why. Um, there were an awful lot of things that happened in the last 12 months. You know, in, in one year, uh, I divorced. Uh, my you know, partner of nine years moved out. Um, uh, we lost a family friend. I had two cancer scares. I fell madly in love. Turned out he was a narcissist. Uh, that kind of ruined me for a bit. I lost my wingman, my dog of 13 years. Um, uh, I lost obviously 90% of my income because of COVID. I uh, had to let most of my team go. Um, those are just, I'm just cherry picking <laughs> the highlights. <laughs> um, so, so there was a lot that happened in a year. And for whatever reason, it, I just felt the the draw it was it was really strange i was sat here one night i'd just done some teaching and i came back in and i thought i feel like i need to write a blog to sort of come out but not to come out to other people because i'd already it wasn't you know me saying i'm gay wasn't exactly an event so i'd done that um when i'd spoken to my close friends and friends and family they were like oh okay well you know welcome back um and it was more about, I think it had been Pride Month or something like that. And so I'd seen, I'd probably been influenced subconsciously by a few things that I kept seeing on social media and whatever. And I thought this isn't about me, but me coming out publicly. I have a very privileged position in that, you know, I don't have hundreds of thousands of followers across social media or my blog or whatever, but it's up, you know, I guess I've got contact with about 25,000 people regularly through social media and my mailing list, there will be people on that 25,000 of those 25,000 people that are not living a life that is true to themselves. Irrelevant of whether it's sexuality, it could be they're in a dead end job and they know deep down they hate it. It could be something to do with a relationship. Um, it could be that they just lost their way. It could be they don't have that fire in the belly, they don't have the passion, it could be confidence, it could be sexuality, it could be anything. And I figured now was my opportunity to say, okay, look, this is kind of a slightly selfish purge to say, this is who I am and who I really am. And uh, I'm going to be authentic and vulnerable because I had by that point started seeing an awful lot of, or was very consciously aware of a lot of falseness and filters and bravado on social media. The, the just the bullshit. Yeah. And I thought this is an opportunity for me to say, look, here is me because I'm a human being as we all are. I am vulnerable um, and this is my opportunity to be authentic. And it was not without huge stakes. I, I posted it on the blog and across social media and I went to bed. And the next morning or late that night, somebody texted me and it woke me up. And I went onto social media and I could not, I'm actually feeling quite emotional thinking about it for the first time ever. Um, I could not believe that outpouring of support and um, which was nice. It was nice to validate that, oh, okay, this is okay to be honest and integral and vulnerable. But it was the little things with people saying that really resonated with me or that's really made me think or thank you. I've got, you know, a similar thing, not with sexuality or whatever. It did what I needed it to do. Um, so yeah, that was my sort of journey, I suppose. And from then on, I've, I sort of vowed that I would always be honest and open and vulnerable and authentic. You know, I started taking Wednesdays off. Uh, they're sacred. You can't get hold of me on a Wednesday. If you want to book me for a call or something on a Wednesday, it ain't going to happen. If you want to pay me to do something on a Wednesday because of the current economic climate, I, I probably will do that. Um, but um, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter how much you jump up and down. It's not going to happen. Um, and I have kind of scheduled call times in the week. And if you want to speak to me on a different day where there isn't a call time, you're going to have to wait till there is a call time, uh, broadly speaking. And I started just being a bit more, I don't know, honest and true to myself. And uh, having gone through a remarkably long stretch of depression with tablets that didn't work and uh, drugs have always worked really well for me for depression, but this time around they didn't. Um, and I, I had nothing else left. It was like, okay, so I either kill myself, which was absolutely totally on the cards um, or, or I need to find something else. I found therapy uh, and an amazing therapist. They're very rare, um, sadly. Um, 
but also this honesty i think was the thing that really sincerely let me feel free and of everybody i've spoken to who feels the same it, it is that that's the turning point for them it's the cornerstone of of happiness for them is an acceptance of an ability to be able to look in the mirror and say i'm not happy what do i need to do and to do something about it yeah see that's that that being honest with yourself and being open with yourself it's not just about being open and honest to yourself about yourself to the world it's granting everyone else license to do the same around you so everyone can sure. finally breathe out you know yeah they're not they're not well, we wouldn't have this segregation and the problems that we've got if more people said i'm transgender i'm bi i'm bipolar i'm you know it's it's the it's the little things you know if a guy walks down a street in a dress understandably he's going to get verbal abuse and he's going to get abuse and weird looks from people because he's the odd guy he's the guy that that doesn't happen well if more people walk down the street in a dress because that's self-expression and, and whatever then suddenly that sort of becomes the phase your norm you know when someone says i'm bipolar everybody kind of recoils because they don't know what to do with it because they're like oh i don't that's not within my social you know my construct it's not within yeah, my yeah. vernacular i don't know how to behave what does that even mean um so the more people that can just be honest and human and share their flaws i think we end up with a society that's incredibly strong and powerful i think we as a species do ourselves disjustice every day <laughs> every day well no i, I agree we've, we've covered this a load of times with the mental health bar is that it's not about when you you know with, with puzzles it's never about the picture it's always about the cracks in between those are the interesting bits it's where you put the thing together not the overall sure. picture in the end and that's 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 what you're saying is that, that well, we're both saying it is that if if everything was different nothing would be that's the uh -huh. point of it and what i'm trying to get from not i'm trying to get what i why i've asked you that question is because there's going to be a lot of people we were talking about this before we started recording thinking they're trapped in that one thing and they have to be that one thing because society tells you once you're committed stay the course I, yeah. a lot of people I, I i'm very open about it i got stuck in a relationship that was very destructive for me because i'd been brought up and told once you're married that's it yeah yeah make yeah. it work and it's sure. just not the best thing and the same goes for sexuality the same get, goes for gender the same goes for, for anything jobs like you say anything really and and, and i'm not comparing mine to yours because there are obviously different situations but how, and mine's it, bigger and yours is hey hey I'm, size isn't the option it's uh, it isn't the problem it's what you do with it that counts um and we're all only from the waist up now there's nothing down here everything else is from here down is withered and unused there's no need for it anymore we are a society from the belt up everything um is this uh but <laughs> i maybe lose my train of thought no but what i'm saying is that um it's it, it, you feeling like you have to I come out as gay go back in and come out shouldn't even be the it shouldn't even be it should just be everything you love who you'd love you, you're with who you're with my my eldest said the best thing because my mum is um an old cat she's not an old lady she's in her 60s but she's she's a catholic roman catholic lady very prudish very set in her ways and she was asking my 16 year old daughter about um sexuality and my 16 year old said labels are for clothes <laughs> and i was just like oh yeah well that's that's the attitude right there that's, yeah, we don't yeah. need these things um, yeah. it's, it, and so I, I i absolutely agree and, and and what i'm saying is that you you're going through therapy but do you feel that was because of the need to fit in and it, you've had to change your definition of yourself or do you think that it's something else or is that too uh, much therapy for me was a whole ton of issues i had no idea about um therapy <laughs> should be um which is what good therapy is yeah. right um uh i went through kind of two big um peaks of therapy the first one was the end of you know a combined loss and grieving of a marriage um and like i say like we're there's no one that knows me like my ex-wife you know we're great friends uh, and always will be it's 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 adorable and beautiful and wonderful and we realize both of us how privileged we are because we hear of so many destructive 
um, uh, marriage breakups. Um, um, so there was that, but also the combined as existential crisis, which is that, okay, so for the nine years gone, you've been living a life trying to fit in with this toxic masculinity and conformity of something else that deep down you've been suppressing. It does put you in a bit of a spin. Um, makes you feel very, very lost and you question a lot of things. You have to kind of, you're, you're grasping identity and working out who you are again. And that's a very, very, very confusing uh, space to be um, because you question everything. You're like, oh, is that, do I drink that tea because like of something else or do I actually like drinking that tea? You know, and yeah. what about these clothes? And do I wear those clothes because they are really me or is it just because I've been trying to, all this kind of stuff. Um, and then the second big just when that was i was feeling great actually that was incredibly uh, beneficial then the big the next big hit was kind of a double whammy it was losing um i can't say his name because the little dog is laid there the other side of the camera and he looks for him if i say his name so um losing the big dog um uh is still phenomenally painful um and so that came and then at the same time, I kind of got caught up in this whirlwind romance with this guy um, who turned out to be somebody very different to who I thought he was. Um, and the loss of that kind of came as a double whammy. So then I was like, oh, I left swimming thinking, geez, there is again. So it's like somebody it's like you've got a loss wound that's just yeah. kind of scabbing over and healing and you're all right with it. And then someone comes along and just goes, <laughs> I will rip that off and dig that around a little bit again. <laughs> Some lemon juice. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and that, but see, that then opened up a whole nother can of worms to do with, you know, attachment and detachment and grieving and absence of grieving and core unmet needs. And I think everybody should go through therapy. I think it is, mm. I, I think, essential for our species. You know, we will go to an optician because we can't see well and you can't get ringing in your ears. You go to an audiologist and then what do we do for this thing up here? The very thing that defines our character and our being and our characteristics and we just constantly throw stuff at it we don't do anything to to keep it well um it's tragic we're not really. taught how to feel we're not taught how to feel at school they don't when you're oh, well learning... particularly us right because we're guys like we're not allowed to guys. feel guys right we're the guys we're the guys you know we're the guys Guys. All right, mask for mask. Check me out. <laughs> you know, you, see, we both do this, and it's this is an automatic reaction to no matter what we do in life. We always do this as soon as we start talking about emotions. Both of us have done it all the way through this, and we always have done forever. Yes, and we think of it as a it's, it's an automatic reaction because we're talking about something vulnerable and yes, we're still to stop. safeguard yourself, isn't it? It's a psychological yourself. barrier. For me, it's slightly because I don't have a back on my stool uh, yeah. and my <laughs> I realize that my back is aching a little bit. So this is quite a nice way for me to sort of brace my shoulders back. But I'll stop doing it. Sorry, I'm very open. No, you Here don't I have am. to. You don't have to. This is absolutely I'm only I'm not. Point, now I've pointed out. I don't mean to make you uncomfortable. That is not absolutely. But it is something you you will recognize it. Yeah, no, you did. <laughs> hey, Macarena. Hi. Um, <laughs> that was. But that I, I still do it because I'm I, I, I literally spent. So you you know me, but and the. Uh, listeners know me i spent 10 years in a relationship with someone telling me who i was uh gaslighting me into believing so i had the same thing where i i'm now 38 and i'm don't know if i wear clothes because i should wear clothes or i don't like foods because i do foods or do i like this band because of that band and going through the same not the same things you are but similarly trying to find what's actually at the core and not just and it, it yeah. makes you crazy makes you because you're you're not just uh -huh. like you say you're not just experiencing things you're questioning how you should experience those things and there's mm -hmm. and instead of it just being your brain to the experience it's your brain to a flow chart and then to the experience what am mm -hmm. i supposed mm -hmm. to feel this what's the way that i'm allowed to experience it and it's sure. one of the things i've done is like um my mom's bought me a kilt for christmas and i fully intend over summer to just wear kilts and i've always totally normal to. totally normal it's totally normal but I've, to I've always wanted to but there's always this thing in my head that's like you're not scottish and you're not transgender why would you wear that but it is, but it is a just a, it's just because you can only wear a kilt if you're scottish or transgender. Or transgender. No, but that's it's not about the kilt it's about the fact that it's a, like a skirt because this isn't like a it's a this is a rainbow kilt this is like 
rainbow colors. Um, and I, my mum got it for me, and she was like, "Yeah, I'd love you to wear that." And I was like, blown away by the fact that she was. But we have that thing in our heads where we're like, "That's like you say, the man walks down the street in a skirt, and that's what it's weird." And we and we have that emotionally as well, where we're like, "That's a man crying, that's weird." That's sure. Uh, can I just say, I think I would like to wear a kilt too. That's really stuck. My mind is racing because the kilt look is, I think, quite hot. I quite like the kilt it's thing, cool, yeah. like kilt and boots. Mate, and I'm a runner. Um, you're a, you're a, we know you're a living thirst trap. So both of us are going to look great in kilts. That's, um, that's, but I don't know I whether to dial you, up the thirst trapness or not. I will send you a link to, to where you can get fashionable kilts and you can have all sorts. They've got utility kilts with many pockets for, for gardeners of course and they have. blacksmiths and things like that. And yeah, you go, you go, you go kilt. Crazy. I bet you there isn't a beekeeping kilt and for obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I mean that's a that's that's more a safety thing than a fashion thing. <laughs> that, that's, you do not, that's not where you want to be. You don't want to be tossing nicotine up there, do you? To try and get them. Come on, guys, go to sleep. Go yeah. to sleep. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not what you want to be doing. Um, but yes, that, so what would you say is the next step for humanity? What do we have to do as humans? You want to talk about this? What do you think we need to do? <laughs> In order to get to where we're, we're free and open to be who we need to be mm. your mug's changed i think, it's, I think that's a very good uh, yeah oh so well that was tea uh, that's gone now uh, and this and now on gin uh <laughs> it's just full on <laughs> no i don't drink alcohol um Same. uh i uh, so i think that's a very difficult question to answer. I think one of the things I'm passionate about is that we need to be able to uh, define what it is to be human. <clears throat> so it's a question I started asking people a couple of months ago. Fascinating. We're all human. We are that species. And you ask somebody, what does it mean to be human to you? And it sends them into this tailspin. The answers are, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're asking us that. Um, uh, so early on in the morning oh that's such a deep question oh i've never given that any thought my god that's a brilliant question but i have no idea uh i think it's about this then person two will go oh i think it's about that uh, person three or oh, i think it's about these uh person four I think it's about them you know it's like all over the shop so you are living as a human being and you can't tell me what it is to be human i think that fundamentally is a question we need to answer um and work out what that is there probably isn't a defined single answer but the question is an interesting one and the second thing i think is incredibly important and i don't really know how to articulate it yet i'm still thinking about it i have real real concerns from a behavioral and psychosocial point of view of um the conflict and contradiction and real challenge of allowing people to have a voice and a platform critically important i'm all for that but it's then when we create um subcultures of the people that need a voice or a platform that we then begin to drive a wedge because we've got so many subcultures so for example um uh lg lesbian and gay community then i'm trying to think of the actual timeline and i'll get called out for this because i don't know but let, so l, l lesbian and gay and then lgb probably lgbt lgbtq lgbt plus lgbt plus plus um so all of those people have a voice as they should but to then create these kind of mini subcultures rather than it being about hey everybody we're all human we should be sharing everybody's differences and conflicts together uh, and it's okay for you to like that food and me not to like it and for you to pray in that building and me not pray and you pray in that building those are all fine but the idea the challenge that we've got is that social media and technology is allowing anybody to have an opinion about things they know nothing about uh, but also to have an opinion and a voice to share those things yeah. and then to create these mini kind of okay so this is our club now um it's like when a few years back and it's difficult for me to say because i'm white i'm middle-aged thanks uh and uh you don't I'm, know that though you um, don't know you're middle-aged yet 
Yeah, no, that is true. That is true. You don't know. You don't know you've been late. That's a little dark. Um, so, <laughs> so, well, you might not be. You um, might not be. So that might have, that might have gone. That yeah. might have... <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's my thought. When someone says I've been late, I'm like, you don't know. You, you tell me yeah, I'm exactly. late. I, that I could have gone that. 20 years ago. I could have been middle aged. It's... I think that's great. Um, and I'm white. And so the difficulty for me to be able to say what I'm just about to say is that immediately I don't get a voice anymore, right? Um, because my voice has been privileged for, for many, many years. But, you know, I remember a few years back when a lady, um, a business lady set up a woman's only club in London to rebel because of the men's only clubs. And I was like, no, no, that's not the way to do it. Like the way to do it is to stop the men's only clubs and make it a human club, right? A people only yeah. club. It's like, you can't say, okay, well, this is going to be only for gay people. And this one's only for queer people. And this one's only for transgender people. The, the, I, I get it. It's important to identify with a tribe. It's important for you to feel that you have value and a voice and an identity critically important for human beings. I just worry that we're on a very dangerous path to create and fuel the very segregation that we're trying um, to, uh, to, to pacify. Does that make sense? It makes sense. My pushback on that, it makes sense, absolutely. I understand what you're going for. And at the base core of it, I think that you're absolutely right, that we should all be one. You know, we were just saying, you know, about my daughter, labels are cool. But I think a lot of the times these communities are made rather than trying to feel something, just to keep themselves separate they're made for safety and because yeah. they're denied their identity and so yeah. they when they do find a crowd or a tribe finally they want to keep it they don't want the people who've been abusing them and for telling them that they're not yeah. valid for all these years so then yeah. when like you get clubs that are just gay or you get events that are just transgender or things like that they normally i think for safety more than they are for yeah. keeping people out they're more for like well we just want to be able to be us here without feeling yep. like we have to defend our existence which i think is more the thing and i know that you you understand that as well i'm just clarifying so, yeah no i i agree and actually it's a good it's a good clarification to have because i, I agree i wholeheartedly understand that the challenge this is the point is there's this this tiny little point in there where if we're not careful and i see it happen socially it tips into the strength in numbers feeling where you just get a few kind of people that start to probably unintentionally fuel the us versus them thing um because you know uh, because of the strength of, and sort of support of having that safety of a tribe of people um and so it becomes less about education and an open conversation so like if somebody trolls me on social media i normally just reach out to them and ask if they're all right or you know without any anger why did you feel the need to say that? Or what, what was your thinking behind saying it? And, and try to have a, and if, if they're not in that place, that's fine. I just walk away from it. I don't need to, you know, justify anything or whatever. But um, very often, probably more often than not, sort of just over 50-50 of the time, somebody will open up and it'll end up being with a, okay, cool, you know, respect to you. Um, I, I don't agree with that. You don't agree with that, but that's cool. That's okay. You know, I mean, whole relationships, are based on the fact that you don't have to always like the same stuff you know it's like, like i've been dating for what feels like a million years it's horrific um uh and there's this weird thing with dating where you know they say so what music do you like what films do you like well whatever and if there's some disagreement for some reason that's like ah oh i'm not sure it would work and i'm like well you're not sure it would work because I don't like horror, but you do. And then just watch horror, but I won't watch it with you. Like what the, like you can't, yeah, you yeah. can't look for a carbon copy of yourself. That's, that's nuts. Um, that's narcissism. So that's the problem. <laughs> oh man. If you want to, if you want to date a narcissist or somebody who's emotionally unavailable, come, I've got reams of them. <laughs> I'm like a <laughs> magnet to them. <laughs> It's, uh, it's all, you, um, I think that that's the point is that <laughs> you don't you don't want to date yourself. They, they want to date themselves. You don't want to date yourself. Yeah. You'd say you're a narcissist and they'll say, do you know what? I'm actually just looking for me. I'm just looking for me. Yeah. I'm looking to spend some time. Yeah. Maybe just trying to find what you source. need, my friend, is a flashlight. Um, yeah. oh, so... That's not what I meant that they needed to find themselves. With a picture of your face you on it is what you <laughs> <laughs> um, You went in so, a completely so yes, different direction. 
<laughs> my point is there's a little tipping point there where I just think, you know, if we're not careful, it can become a little fueled and a little angry and a little, we've got our club and we're safe now and we're going to hide away from the rest of society and, and do all that thing behind, mm. you know, our little defense mechanism. Um, and I think it's, you know, there's a lot more that could be done for education and it's the long game. That's the thing, you know, it's, it's yeah. your, as a human being, you're saying I've got immediate validation, immediate safety, immediate comfort, immediate kindness with this group of people. The, let me try to get you to understand why we do it this way. And let me try to get you to understand why you shouldn't be so aggressive. Let me try to break down the fear because that's where it all comes from. You know, that wonderful thing, isn't there, that there's a phrase that goes something along the lines of those things that we um, don't understand. We, without seeking understanding we grow to fear and without uh and with fear we grow to hate uh, and that is the process of you know you were saying about like your mum generationally and also having that catholicism as part of her characteristics as well um there is that whole generation of people who through lack of knowledge or understanding have grown to fear and then hate things that they don't you know initially understand that's why it's joyful to hear about your daughter you know that's the next generation who are saying that's well it. yeah it's just a label yeah we, we we've had this conversation about it if they just they just their generation is just so much more open they still do have that misogyny and that sexism and racism of course stuff. they're still there but it's not the, the the general attitude is a much more fluid pan kind of thing where even to the point where our youngest ruined someone's coming out because she was just indifferent to it rather than being like wow you're a lesbian she was like ah yeah why why wouldn't you be <laughs> and just she just didn't because we're and i know made a non-event of an event exactly and i felt bad about because she didn't it wasn't until she told us and i felt bad about it and i was like oh well no it's a for like for everyone it's a big deal because when you're an alternative sexuality or gender to the norm to the mainstream then you are, it, it, you're, you know, you go through a lot of problems. There's a lot of bigotry. There's a lot of uh, aggression. And, and so coming out to you was a big deal. And she was like, oh, I just, I just don't care. I don't know who you should. But isn't everyone. that joyful? If we can get to a place where it shouldn't be a big deal. Yeah, exactly. I think is wonderful. Um, no, and the reason it's a big deal is because of the generational uh, psychosocial norms. You know, it's this, you know, boy meets girl, 2.4 children uh you know career yada yada it's that generationally that we're still taught you know from from a very young age um so i uh i think that's joyful i gosh i'd love to be a coming out ruiner um i think that's a wonderful ruiner. <laughs> yeah. ruiner of... i should be careful how i say that that's yeah you should probably not <laughs> no you you you're like you could you you have to be careful with things like that. See, I, I always think that it's like um, it, people should be able to celebrate those things. But it, again, as you say, it's a fine balance. They should be able to celebrate, but wouldn't it be great if they didn't have to? You know? It would yeah, be, absolutely. And also, look, you know, if somebody's listening to all of this and thinking this sounds very lovely and supportive, it does. And actually, a lot of the things that we've spoken about today, unfortunately, are still a bit idealistic. Um, but we are much, much further on than we were. It's just that we'll have much further to go. But then I, you know, I was talking to somebody recently about sort of this very thing about generational. I said, look at, oh, it was my, um, somebody that worked with me about uh, sexism and, and misogyny and whatever. And, and I said, readers. huh? That's sensitivity reader. That's what that's. What is? Someone who talks about, who goes, works with someone to go through a sexism and misogyny. That sensitivity reader. Oh, is that what they're called? Yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, no. well, okay, thanks. Well, <laughs> well I, I wasn't talking to a sensitivity reader, no. I... Oh, okay, sorry. That's just, that's just what the reader was, I was talking to my PA, but but anyway, but she <laughs> might be a sensitivity reader. I don't know. I'll, I'll ask her tomorrow. Oh, no, I won't. Tuesday. Anyway, um, so uh, I was saying about the sexism thing because... Yeah. It had come up in the news about, you know, this whole horrific thing with the girl that was followed and, and murdered and um, that brought that wonderful uh, voice to women saying it happens all the freaking time. Like, 
I don't know, somebody who hasn't been followed or felt uncomfortable. And I was like, bloody hell, that is horrific. And actually, I was listening to a guy uh, being interviewed and I thought, I've done that. I've been behind women um, and crossed the street intentionally because I've realised I'm the only person following them and I didn't want them to feel uncomfortable. Um, so um, anyway... Uh, I was talking about that and I said, the problem is, I said, you will have generations of this yet before this goes away. I said, it doesn't matter how massive this is in the news. It doesn't matter how much media coverage there is and, and, and support. Look at racism. Look how long racism has been going on and how long we've been trying to fix and correct racism. And it still happens now. It's a million times better than it was, but it's still there. It still happens and people still die because of it. Look at sexuality and the gay community broadly, the gay community. And, you know, people used to die. They were, they were murdered because they were they're gay or different. And we're a million times further on right now. But my God, we're still not. We've still got so much work to do. I said, so yeah. if you think about how much longer that's been going on um, and then, you know, it's only, it's only what, you know, a stone's throw away when women got the vote. And that was only functional at the time. That didn't overnight change how women were respected or, or yeah. accepted within society. So I said the fascinating thing about all of this is that it's a wonderful hope for the future. But it's a real long journey still. Is, um, yeah. But Which is why I'm always talking about being a better human. Isn't that a joyful thing to yeah. just yeah. continually try in every way to be a bit better? And if we all did that, we'd get there, wherever there is, a lot quicker. Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Get be there, and we'd be, we'd, as a society, we'd be beige rather than all the colours. We'd be a lovely intermingled. <laughs> well, it's a bit racist. <laughs> it's just a beige cream colour. Everyone is the same. Um, last week we had a, a, a. I thought you'd like to hear this. Actually, last week the guest we were talking to, Vicky, she was talking about how women had had all these rights, and and gay people and trans people had all these rights thousands of years ago, and it was only the Romans coming in that had taken them away. So it's not about women gaining rights, about them gaining them back. And I couldn't believe that that was the yes. case. People yes. like Bodicea, people like Cleopatra, the, the Arabians where they had all of these different, uh, where if you dressed as a woman, you were treated like a woman, or you dressed as a man, you were treated like a man, no matter what gender you were born as. Um, it, I, I, and, it's, and it's only now that we're getting those kind of things back. So well, and, and also even, there without wanting to be too crude about it but very literal gay um anal sex as well mm. um that that was absolutely a thing that happened very socially in the roman period in the grecian period particularly um yeah. that was quite normal um uh, uh, and yeah at some point in history there'd been people that have cherry-picked things and gone you won't do that anymore none of that more of this less of that uh, and then we've just had to sort of toe the line because Oh, I could get very um, right. controversial now, but religion does drive a lot of those social norms. That's where most of it come from. There's a brilliant book I read. Um, I might have given it out because um, I lend it out a lot. It, it's called The Sugar Blues. It's quite a small book. Um, and The Sugar Blues charts the history of and gradual rise of the consumption of processed sugar from sugarcane. Um, and it started as a um, that, that's and that's what started the slave trade. That's where the slave trade, where we went to ethnic countries, stole people and went, oh, you do very well working in hot countries. I'll have a load of those, please. Chuck them in the ship and we'll drive you to this other country so that you can work for us as slaves and make sugar cane. Uh, because there's all these rich people back home that want sugar because uh, we've discovered that you can do this. Um, and uh, of course, Sugarcane, the people that used the sugar indigenous to the countries where it grows in used to chew the sugarcane. So they were getting a very uh, raw, natural version of it. Somebody, I forget the exact, so there was something to do with the science boom at the time, discovered that you could process the sugar, effectively bleach it with a, with a chemical um, uh, reaction. So just to take the acid away from it. So you're getting so all the natural stuff gone and you're just left with this white bleached kind of raw sugar. Um, uh, and then we'll start putting that in in food and stuff. Uh, and it was the maid or the chambermaid of a very wealthy person who was unwell, who noticed this strange smell from their urine in the chamber pot and linked the two and was like, hang on a minute, you've started eating a lot of this sugar stuff and your urine stinks and you've got headaches and, you know, acne and yada, yada, yada. I wonder if they're the same. Um, 
And so I'm fast tracking through this because this is the bit that's getting to the relevant bit. Uh, the natural faith healers at the time, there was no such thing as medicine, no such thing as doctors. The natural faith healers and, and healers that you went to had started to suppress the idea and said, this sugar stuff's really bad. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be eating it. Like it, it's causing lots of these problems we're seeing. The problem is by that time, the church were really heavily invested in importing all of the sugar from around the world. So it was kind of the, the royalty, the royal family, and or it wasn't royal family as then, but the king and queen and the church were in bed together saying, we'll fund and get these ships and these slaves and own these slaves and whatever and get lots of sugar for you guys to consume. So they'd started noticing that these natural healers were telling people not to eat the sugar. So the church uh, applied to create a training scheme, what we now know as medicine. Uh, and they said, we need to train some people to be doctors, uh, but you can only practice medicine if you've done this training scheme. Uh, and so they create, and the royal, the king and queen said, yeah, great, we'll do that. That's our, gets our royal decree, these new people. And of course, you know, sugar was absolutely fine. Uh, and so if you weren't one of those people, uh, you were... Uh, you were told that if you sought advice from a natural healer, you would be banished from the church. Of course, the church was everything to those people back then. Yeah. That's all they had. They couldn't not be banished from the church. And it, the uh, natural healer would be executed. So that got rid of all of them. And so what originally happened is the, um, uh, the church said, we'll keep training people in spirituality and the mind, which later became psychology. Uh, and the uh, king and queen, you, you know, sought out the royal decree of training people to become doctors. And it wasn't until later that they then gave the psychology bit away to medicine. And that's why medicine and psychology are still separate, because they always were from the very beginning, even though that now we know, you know, the brain is linked to the gut and it's all one whole thing. Um, yeah. So so my point sort of broadly is that that is just to do with sugar. And we're carrying all of those sorts of long generational, 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 generational um, societal norms and formation of who we are today, which forms, you know, whether or not we accept people for being a bit different or not. Yeah. Crazy. I didn't know that about the sugar. I didn't know. I'm going to have to look that up now. It's an amazing book. You won't be able to put it down. It's an incredible book. The Sugar Blues. I'll check it, I'll check it out today. I'll check it out today. Um, Jez, uh, you are a busy man and I've already taken up more time than I said we were going to take up. Tell everyone where they can find you and what you're working on at the moment. Well, I'd rather you not visit. Oh, I see what you mean. Um, <laughs> you can, there is a website, jezrose, J-E-Z-R-O-S-E.co.uk or uh, social media. I'm on Instagram and Twitter, LinkedIn and YouTube at that Jez Rose. Go, that Jez Easy, Rose. isn't it? Easy to remember. Easy, mate. Easy to find. Easy. Right. Thank you very much for joining us. Do uh, I get paid per minute for this, or is it just a sort of general fee for the whole thing? It's a general fee for the whole thing, delivered via Bitcoin. Right. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, knowing how much you're into technology. Oh, right. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us, Jez. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in to the Mental Health Bar once again. We'll be back next week with more guests. Uh, thank you very much, Jez. See you later. Bye.